Hey all, before we get started here is a quick announcement. Um, we have the 126th annual conference coming up in Richmond, Virginia from uh, May 2nd through May 6th. And I will have my own little booth. I'm not quite sure yet what the hours are that I'm going to be attending that booth. But if you are um, interested, stop by and, you know, and have a chat. We um, have a recorder out there, my, um, several microphones, and um, I would like to take some take some time to talk to everybody, get them, get them um, recorded, and we're going to bring out a really cool episode, I believe, you know, with all kinds of voices and ideas and interests in the IOM over the time of the expo. And now let's get back to the actual podcast on today's episode. Welcome to the IAOM podcast, First Break Stories from the Roll Floor. I'm your host, Simon Tietke. Today's guest is Randy Garbert. Randy spent over 40 years in milling operations and now holds the position of strategic account manager for Arden Mills. Besides that, he's the current IOM president and has been actively involved in the IOM for many years. Join us for a conversation about milling, the future of the IOM, leadership, and the most important part, the people. But first, a word from our sponsors. Bühler Insights is the digital service available from Bühler. It provides unprecedented levels of transparency for your process by capturing data from the machines in your plant and then visualizing that data in a digestible format for you to make more informed decisions about your production process. It works on a single machine, an entire plant or across a multi-site organization. Bühler Insights is a powerful, customizable and highly secure digital solution that increases productivity, it could be increased yield, reduced plant downtime, machine, line or plant performance analyzers and comparison or reducing your energy usage. Whatever your top priority is, Bühler Insights has you covered today and into the future. Contact your local Bühler office to find out more or just search for it online today. GEA Golfetto Sankari consider milling raw materials such as maize, wheat and cereals as a promise. A promise to all their customers to promote environmental sustainability and make the most of the resources offered by our planet. That's why GEA Golfetto Sangadi's milling technology is developed with the aim of protecting raw materials in the most effective way by reducing internal friction, optimizing the layout and maximizing the energy savings. Discover how GEA Golfetto Sangadi develops and builds milling plants of any size and any capacity on GEA.com. Hey Randy, how you doing? Good, good, Simon. How are you doing today? Not too bad, not too bad. Thanks for um, being on the podcast. It's been a while since we put one out. So thanks, um, for, thanks for asking me. Thanks for the opportunity. No problem. It's been a while since we put a podcast out, so I hope um, I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm still I'm still going to be able to do it if something goes wrong. It's, it's just because I'm still a little rusty here. But um, <laughs> it's good to have you on because I know you, so it's, it's not going to be too awkward, you know. But, well, I don't, I do know you, Randy, but um, I don't, know that necessarily all of our listeners do so why don't you give us a quick introduction who you are and who you work for sure sure okay so my name is randy garvert <clears throat> i uh i work for ardent mills um actually i recently uh switched roles i've been in operations for 40 years um or 40 more 40 plus and um I just recently switched roles into a sales role so i'm right now a strategic account manager for ardent mills but prior to that i was uh, senior director of operations um, for Ardent Mills, and and um, I started, I guess, um, with Conagra 
40 plus years ago uh, when I graduated from Kansas State University. I actually, I grew up on a farm in western Kansas. Um, we raised wheat primarily um, and cattle, uh, a beef cattle operation, a uh, cow-calf operation. I was actually, I went to Kansas State University um, <laughs> primarily because uh, it was far enough away from home that I wouldn't have to work every weekend. I was um, one of six kids, and it was pretty clear for some reason in the family that I was going to be the one that uh, was going to take over the farm. Just not, so you, I have, you were just not hard enough of a of a worker at home, I, so they sent you to school? Or? <laughs> oh, no, well... No, my dad actually wanted me to go to school at Fort Hayes State, which was 19 miles down the road. And I knew why he wanted me to do that. He wanted me to come home and help him work every yeah. weekend. And and uh, I thought, you know, I'm going to be working on this farm the rest of my life. And I want to go have some fun. So um, I insisted on going to Kansas State University. Um, I did party. They're quite hardy. Um, <laughs> Good. In the first in the first semester. Um, and darn near got kicked out of school because of it, then realized, geez, you're going to go home and <laughs> farm a lot sooner than you thought if you don't uh, buckle down and start actually going to class and studying. And so um, the next semester, I took Principles of Milling. Um, it was a, a really neat class, um, but it was at 7 o'clock in the morning. What did you start with? Ward... So when you said I'm the next sorry? semester, what was your first semester? Oh, it was just nothing. I hadn't declared. I just okay. general, just general classes, right? And and but I had uh, talked to my brother Terry, who yeah. was with Cargill, um, and Terry um, mentioned milling science. You ought to check out milling science. And so I took principles of milling. Arlen Ward was the teacher. It was at seven o'clock in the morning. Mm -hmm. I ended up with an A in that class, and I really don't know how because. There were some very, very tough things. You know, I was pretty good on telling you how much flour was in the cylinder of that bin, but I could not ever figure out how to tell you what was in the hopper. And so all of that math and all of that calculus, it's just like, I don't, I don't need this. I'm going to go home and farm. I, I don't need this stuff. So, so I got out of, I got out of that and switched over to ag econ. But I will tell you, it was a really good lesson to learn from about the industry and about success from Arlen Ward. I, I got an A in that class and I was, I had a roommate. Um, um, I was in a fraternity, a, a fraternity brother, um, that was also in the class and he ended up, um, missing several classes. Um, he always <laughs> did better. He always did better on the test though. He, yeah. he just scored better than I did and, um, he didn't get an A. So we were walking across campus the next semester and uh he said so you got an a in that and i did not i said yeah and I, I i don't know maybe he got the two of us mixed up so we went to see arlen ward and um said hey you know um i got an a in the class he got to be in the class he always did better than i did uh just thought maybe you might have mixed the two of us up and uh he looks at me and he says mr garbert how many classes did you miss and i said i don't think i missed any and he goes how many were you late to And I said, um, I don't think I've missed, I'm, I've been late to any. And he said, um, well, to the other gentleman, how many classes did you miss? And well, I, and he told him, he opened up this book and he told him exactly how many classes he missed. <laughs> he told him how many times he was late. And then he closed the book slowly and he says, I didn't mix you two up. And the message there was, you know, if you're going to be in this industry, you show up to work on time. Yeah. 
uh, you show up to work and you show up to work on time. And uh, it was probably a good leadership lesson, I suppose, very early in the career. Yeah. But I bailed on I bailed on milling science. It's like, yeah, I'm not I'm not going to do that. Um, and I switched over to AggieCon. And then in 1981, when I graduated, um, it was a pretty tough economic environment, not unlike the one we're in today. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had just come off an embargo with uh, Russia on grain. Um, interest rates were quite high. Inflation was quite high. So back um, then, was there a lot of already a lot of I'm trade sorry? was 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 there already already a lot of trade with Russia on grain back then? Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Back in the seventies, you bet. Um, there was a lot of trade uh, with Russia, a lot of export uh, with Russia, and then we embargoed that mm. Russia, and that was at the time also when we I think we were not. It was in Jimmy Carter's administration. We were not going to go to the Olympics. There was a lot of yeah. geopolitical stuff going on then too, and. Um, but at any rate, it, a lot of farmers that were friends of my dad were going bankrupt. And so um, I knew that it was a tough time. And I told my dad, you know, this farming thing may not work out for both of us on this one farm. And and uh, what I should do is probably go get a job for a year. And just so that I've got something on a resume mm. in case this doesn't work out. And then I'll come home and farm. <laughs> so I went to work for Conagra. Um, in the flour milling side of the business um, for one year. And it just turned out to be a really long year. Um, I just <laughs> I just never went back. Where did you start? Oh, I started in Omaha, Nebraska. Mm-hmm. I was called an operations analyst. It was a neat job. Um, <clears throat> you worked for the, the vice president of operations and the director of operations, and we assembled all of the plant budgets. We put together all of the capital requests, ran all of the returns, put together all of the um, financial reporting stuff that the plant got to see. Mm-hmm. Um, so put together all the KPIs and did all those measurements. Um, so you interacted with all the different plant managers via phone. And then you were right there in um, Omaha where all of the functions operated. So you got to know all of the functional people. That lasted one year to the day. And then I was transferred out and started moving around between plants. So I was in Sherman, Texas, and then Martins Creek, Pennsylvania, and then back to Omaha to one of the mills. And then I ended up in, um, let's see, from Omaha, I went back to York and Red Lion, and then we ended up leasing the High Spire Mill. Um, and then from there to Tampa, then to Decatur, Alabama, then to Hastings, Minnesota. Jeez. By that time, I was a regional manager and, yeah. and actually had responsibility for multiple mills in Minnesota, then to Texas. Mm-hmm. Um And the Texas move was um, really about starting up the mill that had been uh, closed in Saginaw. Uh, that was the joint venture um, with Bay State and um, and um, the co-op and uh, farmland industries. That was, and, that was quite the and ordeal, also the, right? A regional cooperative up in Oklahoma. Yeah. That was quite the ordeal, wasn't it? That plant has been standing for a little bit huh, back then. I, it had been in operation for like a year, a year and a half, and then it went into receivership. Mm. And then I think it sat empty for uh, maybe a year and a half also. Um, those dates may not be quite right. Yeah. But um, it went into receivership. Um, it was shut down immediately. I think they went back um, a few months later and ground out the rest of the wheat. Okay. But uh, there was quite a bit of flour left in the facility. Um, we, at the time... Uh, didn't have an agreement with um, 
ADM farmland to supply grain to the mill. So there was, while we were able to start working inside of it and clean it up, we had a really small clue, mm-hmm. uh, crew. We, we weren't able to actually run the mill because we didn't have an agreement with the elevator next door to, yep. to operate it. And that mill uh, has eventually, no, no, had no we elevator. Yeah. The mill had no own elevator. Uh, yeah. yeah. It's, yeah. It's, it's, our, it's, it's Miller Milling's mill right. now, so I, I know it quite well, but yeah. Yeah, it's a great plant. Um, it was, uh, it was a unique experience to, um, to start that back up. Um, we did all of the hiring of the team. Uh, it was a true family. I, uh, I, it, it was, uh, it was a great experience. It was a wonderful experience. How long were you there? Ooh, 10, 10 years, I guess, maybe 11. I guess it was. I guess it was 11 years. It's probably your longest stop then. So anywhere, huh? It it was um, it was my longest stop. I think I was in the Minnesota mills for 10 years, and everything else before that was um, months and uh, you know like 11 months and mm. maybe three years. I was we were moving around pretty fast when when we were younger. Yeah, which that's the time to do it. Yeah. Yeah, uh, most of that was prior to um, prior to kids. So there's BK before kids and AK after kids, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and uh, most of that was BK. I will tell you um, though, along those moves, it, it, you know, when you're when you're young, and and you're from Kansas and not much worldly experience, it's pretty scary to move around to some of these places mm-hmm. like. Uh, go on to Florida, go on to uh, Texas, go on to to Pennsylvania, and, and leaving what you know right there at home in Kansas, you know. And um, but but my advice to to the young kids would be to to do that, to take advantage of that opportunity. It's because of that that I met my wife. And um, and then when we were in Florida, Janet and I were not able to have children, and so when we were in Florida, we got introduced to an organization that helped um, and an attorney that actually helped us adopt uh, both of our children. And so if you think about those moves and those things that happened, I wouldn't be where I'm at today and I wouldn't, I wouldn't have the wife that I have today and I wouldn't have the children that I have today had, had I not taken those opportunities to, to move around. So yeah. you just, it's scary, but it's also, it's also quite rewarding. I agree, and I'm in a very, very similar position as you are. Obviously, I moved a little further from my hometown, a little bit. Yeah. But yeah. you know, I came from a small town in Germany, and it was, it was scary somewhat. You know, moving to Africa for a while, but coming over here definitely changed my life. The same way, I met my wife over here and built a life all around what I do now. And and I can only agree with you on that. All of those travels and every single one of them, some of them I hated at the time, really did, but looking back on them it's just it just builds you builds your life really it builds up who you are and then you know where you at and and you as you said it i would probably still you know not be stuck in my town but i would be definitely somebody else right yes yeah, simon i you know you're the sum of your experiences right and um and when you don't take advantage of those opportunities to gain that experience um you're really limiting um, your overall growth, mm-hmm. personally, professionally. Yep, and exactly. And now you can, you know, look back on a career and you don't have to move and you don't have to do those things anymore and you have a comfortable 
job and you are hired because of the sum of it, your experience and not necessarily the amount of work you put in anymore. And that's kind of a good feeling too, right? Yeah, you know, the last move, we always liked where we lived too. Mm. People will ask us, where where was your favorite place? And it <laughs> seemed like everywhere we moved, we always liked it better than the last place that we were at. And I really loved Texas and I had never, ever thought that I'd leave Texas. I, I just, I don't know why, I just wanted to be a Texan. <laughs> and... uh <laughs> But uh, maybe it's just because I had such a great experience down there. Yeah. But um, but I will say this. If you have to leave Texas and go anywhere, Denver, Colorado is probably the place to have to go. Yeah. Um, I think Janet, I, and the kids, we love it here. We're not, we're not leaving Colorado. Colorado is no, it. I wouldn't mind moving out west either, but I, I still have to um, do some more convincing on the side of my wife there to, <laughs> to be able to. I thought maybe a couple of years ago I could pull it off, but we, we're still stuck in. Minnesota, it's not a bad place to be either, but but as I say, rest is best. So, <laughs> you know. Yeah. From above and beyond service to incredible flower performance in your facility, Miller Milling Company goes the extra mile at every mill. Miller's team's dedication and attention to details helps them learn your business so they can work seamlessly as a part of your crew. Whether you need existing products or customized solutions, you can count on Miller to deliver exactly what you need. Miller Milling also works to make sure every link in your supply chain is secure so you get a reliable product on time, every time. And if something ever happens to go wrong, they always make it right. Because here, flour is more than a processed grain. It's a partnership. Welcome to Milling Made Easy. For over 40 years, Lawrence Conveying Products has been North America's single source manufacturer for all things dry bulk. Lawrence offers a wide range of pneumatic conveying product solutions including diverter valves, slide gates, couplings, elbows and more. Customization is their specialty. Family owned since 1979, Lawrence understands the importance of quality service and flexibility. Clients aren't just clients, but rather extended members of the family. Save purchasing dollars by contacting Lawrence, your one-stop shop. You know, from your position today, you you do have a different position I want to talk to you a little bit about, and you do some quite a bit of volunteering in that position. You are the IAOM president. That's probably one of the main reasons we have you on today, but also, you know, obviously your impressive life and your experience. But but IOM presidency is that's something you don't just get voted in to be an IOM president. You usually have a lot of work with the IOM ahead of time, and you start early, you start young, and you work yourself through the through the organization more or less volunteer yourself through the organization and put a lot of hours in and and obviously you have quite a bit of experience with the IOM so why don't you give me a little bit of an overview when you first got introduced to the IOM and how how what you thought of it and, and why you why do you do this extra work <laughs> uh, uh, good questions um, I got started introduced to it um uh, one time, Ken Seidler, there was an upcoming IOM conference in Orlando, and I was at the Florida Mill, the Tampa, Florida Mill. And Ken Seidel's my boss, said um, that he was going to be at a board of directors meeting. This was always had six months before the conference was actually going to occur. And um, at the board of directors meeting, he uh, volunteered that we would show the Tampa Mill. And he hadn't told me this. He just told me that I needed to come pick him up 
and bring him back over to Tampa and we'd spend uh, the, the rest of the day and the next day together. And then I'd drop him at the airport and he could fly home. So I walk into the hotel where they're having the meeting and I walk into the boardroom and he's, Oh yeah, there's Randy. Welcome. Come on in. Come on in. Come on in. And he goes, everybody, this is Randy. He's the one who's going to be given the tour of the mill. <laughs> and my face just I was like, I was just like, Oh my God, you know? And everyone around the table is all laughing. All the board of directors are laughing at me because they realize it's the first time I found out that I'm showing the mill. <laughs> we spent the next six months. Um, uh, it was a really great experience as well. And Scott Martin was, was, was part of that experience mm. and a big driver behind that experience. But, uh, we challenged each other and the entire team and we really did, uh, what I would now call our first pristine project. Um, we redid the floors, mm. uh, we painted the equipment. We, um, we did all kinds of things in six months, stuff that today you would never get away with doing. Um, <laughs> like, like power washing down the roll stand floor. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, all in <laughs> like two days. It was just, it was just, it was something. Anyway, um, <clears throat> it was a good experience, but that was how I got introduced to, um, to the IOM. And then, um, from there, um, joined the membership. And, um, later, I think I probably got a lot more involved when I was in Minnesota, mm-hmm. uh, and started attending more meetings. It was a much easier to do in the Flower City District because the meetings were always so close. Yeah. And, um, and I just, you know, I think the why for me was part of that is just my personal growth, wanting to, wanting to do more, wanting to contribute back. But also, I just love meeting people. And the uh, the fellowship part of the IOM for me is just as important as as the educational part um, and the service part. I, I just, I love the fellowship. The people that I have got to meet in this injury, in industry is just, it's just fantastic. I right? agree, yeah. That's definitely one of the biggest parts for me too, is just, you know, coming from, from the vendor side and having them all as customers at one point. Now they're, and they grew to be my friends over the years, you know, but now they're all really are my colleagues and my, you know, friends through the IOM. It's something special. Oh, yeah. It really is. And, you you know, still till today, if I have any issues or have any questions, I can ask anybody in the industry about anything. And it's not, it's, yeah, that's you know, right. we all have our secrets at some point, but it's really, it's it, everybody helps each other out and we make sure that the industry moves forward together. So that's, something i'm not very used to i wasn't it's kind of funny because they're great friends but you're also competitors and you want to be yeah i know (laughs) it's funny it is it is very hilarious and you you can you can play that pretty well (laughs) it's a lot of fun sometimes (laughs) i agree so your presidency what does it mean to be the irm president well I, i think it's a first of all it's an honor to do it right um um and it's been a, it's been kind of a strange year. Obviously, I'm the shortest, um, um, president in, in history, I'm sure. And, uh, that's maybe not such a bad thing because I wasn't able to do a whole lot of damage while I, yeah. <laughs> while I was in the role. But, um, you know, I think it's, I guess it's, it's an old industry, right? 125 years started in 1896. Um, it's dedicated to the education. Of our industry, I think for me the presidency is is also trying to maybe um, not only continue to build upon that 
that history, that great history, mm. but also start to venture off into and lead it into some new areas. Um, um, and they're not necessarily new areas. Um, they, they've certainly been around, like food safety, right? We have to figure out as as an industry how we're gonna how we're gonna deal with food food safety yeah. and with pathogens in flour, and um, because it's um, it's not only right dangerous to some of our customers if they happen to eat the flour and it had contained pathogens and there was no kill step. It's also it's also quite costly when you do the recalls. Yeah, right? absolutely. And it's, and, and uh, there's some things there that that could take down companies mm-hmm. um, depending upon the cost. And so to me, that's one of the areas we have to continue to try to educate and focus on. Another area for us critical right now more than ever, and, and it seems to be, I don't know if it's COVID itself that brought this about um, or if it's just just the fact that so many baby boomers are leaving the industry, but uh, we need people. Mm. Um, we need to attract talent into the industry and that talent needs to be diverse um, and we've got to get a message out. And so um, one of the things we're trying to do right now, um, we've started a committee, um, an outreach committee, a marketing committee, and we've got uh, quite an array of folks on it. We've got um, uh, a person from Soslin, a person from the California Wheat Commission, a person from U.S. Wheat, mm-hmm. a couple milling companies, corn milling, flour milling, um, Sosland, um, yeah. people Sosland too, to um, kind of develop the steering committee around what can the industry do and how can the IAM help um, on this recruiting? And so um, there's actually a teacher involved in this as well. So we uh, we have a, a, a grade school teacher okay. from yep. Kansas City that's also involved to help us try to understand how can we connect with the schools? How can we connect with the middle schools and how can we connect with the high schools at a local level to start this recruiting process into our plants, whether that's for an hourly role yeah. or um, a management role? Um, doesn't doesn't make any difference, right? It kind of blows your mind too, right? I mean, because you talk about employee shortage and we're not talking just, you know, people coming out of K-State, obviously, or any other university going into leading positions, but also also hourly positions right and and i just i just did have dinner with friends of mine and um she went to k-state and she never heard of milling science right and 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 i told her kind of the idea of of how many applications you have to send out after school if you if you're halfway decent and communicating and um, how much money you can get out of school and she could not believe it and it's like, yeah, that's milling science is, you know, it's kind of, if you're a hard worker and you're dedicated, it's kind of a sure bet that you get a job and you get paid well and you're going to have a career that makes you happy and, and, and supports your family for the rest of your life, right? So, so that is kind of puzzling sometimes that there's just yeah. not many people that are really into it. But on the hourly side, it's kind of the same thing. I think it has a lot to do with our society feeling that can't achieve anything without a college degree, you know? So those both are kind of, I think the issues you're facing, right? Yeah, I, I, I agree. And I, and, and, and I think those are, those are incorrect assumptions yep. too, right? I think one of the challenges we face is that, um, there, take all of the moving around that I did. Yep. 
I never actually applied to move. Mm-hmm. I got the phone call on a Friday usually and was told on Monday, you need to be down here. Yep. So catch a plane or drive. And, and I think part of that was because then I didn't get an opportunity to, to think about it and say, no, I'm not going. Yeah. Um, today, um, it's different. People are not, people want to be around their family mm-hmm. and, and they want to be around their home. And that's one of the struggles we have. And so I think that's why it's so important that, that we have to recruit locally. Each yes. mill has to recruit locally for, um, for its, um, hourly labor mm-hmm. and its leadership. Yep. And, and IUM is going to try to help do that, right? With the steering committee is working on playbooks. Um, and ideas. So kicking around ideas on how we can develop those relationships and trying to build a playbook for each one of the local management teams at a specific mill that says, okay, if you want to recruit some people, here's some suggestions we have for you. Here's some things that you can do. And here's how you go about doing it. And by the way, if you need some materials, we have some of those materials. And the thinking is that we'll actually build some marketing materials uh, design, develop those through volunteers from the different companies mm-hmm. that maybe have marketing people. Yeah. And, and then we'll, we'll be able to use some of the IMEF's money to perhaps print those documents up and make those available to the local, to the local teams, to the local milling teams. But we have to be clear about it. This isn't going to happen without each one of the local plant management teams mm-hmm. reaching out to their local schools and their local technical colleges um, to do this recruiting. And in that, right, if, if, if it's, hey, I, I want to I start in the hourly role or if I want to be in a management role and later if you want to uh, attend more courses and do more learning, you can take advantage of IOM's uh, distance learning courses, it's uh, in-person courses. Um, and, and you know what? If you have an interest, Kansas State would be a really good place to go really refine and build upon your, um, you know, upon your technical skills, right? Your technical abilities. Yeah, and and, and what you bring there up, what you bring up there is like the, you know, I think wasn't really important for me when I started. You definitely started quite a bit earlier than I did in my in your career, but I don't think it was maybe I don't know how important it was for you to have a career idea of the future. You know what what is, what are the steps I have to take to become a leader. Nowadays, I think it's a much more important thing for for people starting out of school, if it's high school or or if it's if it's college, that they have a clear career path. So I think we as the industry need to be able to supply and provide much more flexibility on that. We need to be able to hey and you know all those courses you have. Cowley College is a big is a big deal. We've been we've been using too, you know, but. Um, But then also moving on, hey, this is, might be the possibility. We can send you to K-State. We, you know, companies pay for that. And, and companies outside of the grain milling industry did that for years, you know. Yeah. And I yeah. think we just have to really catch up on that. I, I, I couldn't agree more, Simon. I couldn't agree more. And, you know, it's interesting you talk about my career and, and I, did, I, didn't, I had no map, right? Obviously, when I started, I was planning on going back home and farming. Um, but... Um, I, I did know this, right? That if I worked hard and I did my best, I should be okay. Mm-hmm. And, um, I had, if you will, people that were, um, um, mentors, but not just mentors, but advocates for me, right? 
And, and, um, but again, I didn't apply for anything. I just got the call and got told what I was going to do next and said, Oh, okay, well, let's do that. And you're right. Today, that's not, that's not how this works at all. Um, we're very clear with, with students that, uh, we hire, uh, not just students, anyone we hire in Ardent Mills that you are in charge of your career, mm-hmm. right? You have to take an active role in that. Now, that is absolutely different from what I grew up. I agree. Around. Yeah, I was I was and, left in the dark till till you yeah. know I had to move to Africa, till I had to move to Australia, till I you know. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but I think it's a really good point that you bring up, um, and and something that has changed, and um, and that's actually for the better because um, I agree. Being hand selected. Um, there's a certain amount of bias involved in all of that, and it's not fair. Right? I agree, absolutely. Um, I benefited from that, mm-hmm. but in retrospect, wow, did I deserve that more than someone else? Um, I don't know. Yeah, and you're making a really good point there. I think that's actually great, cause um, how much are you in charge really of your career if you have maybe a manager that is not up to par? Right? Could you be held back for years, really, if you know, if that happens, and I think there there has to be some better. Or there, nowadays, there are some better gates and checks on on things like that. You know that that we are fair and we are not biased, and we move forward with the people that deserve it most, right? We still have a ways to go on that, mm-hmm. and and um, but I, I, but but nothing will come without um, without your. Um, Without your commitment. Yeah, you, know, you said right? showing Nothing up was showing up was the biggest thing to do at the beginning, right? You said that in K State yeah. and show, showing up some strong stuff, man. It's you know yeah. it really does does make a big difference if you show up and you show up on time and you show up ready and you show up prepared. Yeah. Good. Um <laughs> I think we got a little bit of off to a little bit of a side conversation here on on the future of our milling industry, but I think we, I wanted to talk to you about this anyway, so it was kind of part of my closing question, and you answered most of it right there. Um, other than that, what are your plans after the presidency? How are you gonna? What are you gonna do? How are you gonna support the IOM? Do you have any any idea what the, what the plan is? Well, yeah, actually, um, if I could, um, of course, I'm getting um, fairly old. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you come on now. <laughs> I I have always told people that I was uh, never going to retire, and that uh, um, when it was time to retire, what I would do is become um, uh, a senior intern. <laughs> a senior intern. Yeah, I don't <laughs> think we can do that. The liability is too high there. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, um, I don't know. Lately, I am starting to think a little bit as you get closer and closer to that age. I am starting to think a little bit more about, uh, especially as I see some of my closest friends starting to bail as well. Right. It's like, wow, maybe I should start thinking about retirement. But uh, I would like to stay involved in the IOM. Actually, I would like to stay involved um, on the outreach and and, uh, marketing idea, uh, that committee, that steering group. to try to continue to help um, bring people into the industry, that would be one area that I that I'd like to that I'd like to stay involved in. Um, how I'm going to do that, I'm not exactly sure. Right, right now you get great support. At least I get great support from 
from Ardent Mills um, to continue to allow me the time to do it and and pay for the pay for the expenses of doing it. And so yeah. I'm very appreciative to Ardent Mills for that and ConAgra prior to that. Um, and to the and to my leaders who who allow me to do that. Um, yeah. So so later um, after that all kind of stops, eh, I think it'd be kind of fun to stay involved in that in that part of it. I think it's a uh, yeah, and, I, and you know, without the people, we're not going to move forward, right? And and yeah. that's a really important committee. I I really I really enjoyed that you talked about that. I had not much idea of where where you're going with that, but um, but I think that's probably one of the most important things to do right now, and I'm happy you want to keep doing it. You know, and in every another area, I, I don't know that it um, would be a little bit more around leadership development, mm. right? And um, uh, whether or um, now each one of the companies generally has their own leadership development plans and strategies anyway, but um, but you know, there's some there's just some really good. Um, fundamental things about leadership that um, that I think we can teach um, at, in, in a more generalist type of way and offer those types of classes uh, to folks. Um, there's, um, you know, things that are important um, if you're going to be a leader um, is is that um, you're, you develop trust, right? Yep. And that trust doesn't come without sincerity. And it doesn't come without um, reliability, and it and it doesn't come without competency. Yep. In fact, you know, it's interesting. Speaking of competency, I'm not a technical miller, um, and so I got by in this industry without actually ever having been a technical miller. And I speak to that at times in some of the leadership to some of the young folks about your career path. And since we mentioned mapping out your career path, getting that competency is extremely important uh, if you're going to be a leader. And for me, when I look at my milling, my technical milling toolbox, so I've got a toolbox and in that toolbox I have trays. And if you open up my technical milling tray, there's not much there. There's maybe... You know, I might have a pair of pliers, yeah. uh, an adjustable wrench. I've got a couple screwdrivers. The basics, um, you know, stuff yeah, that gets you by. Right. But then you go to someone like Ted Perlchuk mm -hmm. or Scott or you, uh, um, um, Scott Martin, just just <laughs> all kinds of people, right? Yeah, any technical model out there. Yeah. And, and yeah, there's an entire toolbox around one one machine. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? <laughs> I don't have that. Yeah. I, 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 and, and if I were to go backwards and, and do something again, I think I would try to gain a lot more competency in the technical milling side. Be my advice to some young folks. It's hard work. It's rewarding work. It is very rewarding. Yeah. Um, it's, I think it's essential work. If you're going to be a leader, you have to have that competency. And, um, and that's one way to, to gain some of that. And I like that you talk about that because, well, first of all, you know, I went through, some leadership classes in my career and a lot of them don't talk about competency at all. And that's, I think that's a big flaw in a lot of leadership classes, but, um, the, because, but the other thing is in, in the industry we work in and in a lot of agricultural industry, I would think, and a lot of mechanical industry too, is, is people tend to be promoted because they're very competent in their 
profession. But they're not necessarily the leaders there should be when leading people. And um, I saw that in the milling industry quite a bit, mainly with myself. I got, you know, where I am because I'm a technical miller and I'm, I know which way to turn the the wheel on the roller mill to make more yield, you know. But um, but that doesn't make me a good leader at all, right? And 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 I think it it would have helped me quite a bit. On the other hand, on the contrary of what you're saying, would have helped me quite a bit if from the beginning on I have, would have had a better role in in leadership and a better maybe career path in leadership than than I have today. Right? I have a lot of catch up to do right now. So. Um. Arden Mills introduced me to an equation that I just love. <clears throat> um, and it was right at the very formation of Arden Mills. I remember being in the first meeting when it popped up on the screen and I was like, whoa, that's pretty powerful. And it's an equation. And this is about as complicated as I could get because, as I mentioned earlier, I'm not into calculus and stuff. <laughs> but this is more algebra, so it's it's possible to understand this. But it's trust equals and then you've got an enumerator, and the, enum the enumerator is sincerity times competency times reliability. Mm -hmm. And the denominator is your own self-interest versus others. And there's a couple key things in that. Um, those, those three on the top, that sincerity, competency, and reliability, those, those are multiplication signs. So you can be completely competent, but if you have zero reliability yeah. and zero sincerity, then there's still no trust. And without trust, you're not going to be a leader. And so it's interesting. You mentioned, you know, that competency, some people of the competency, all the companies in the world may not make great leaders. That might be because of the enumerator. Exactly. Or it might even be because of the denominator, right? Because the more I have my own interests in front of others, the lower that equation is going to be, the lower that T is going to be. And and so I just always thought that was a. And I hope Art Mills doesn't mind me using that and sharing that. <laughs> I don't think they would. <laughs> yeah. But um, it's a it's an incredible statement, and I find it to be incredibly true. Yeah. And then I also I used to use also this other um, thing that I learned, gosh, way back in my days in Minnesota, from someone, and it's a it's an it's a baseball diamond, and mm -hmm. so most people can understand baseball, and so. First base is respect and second base is trust and third base is and, and then home plate is teamwork. And you in baseball, right? You can't get to third base. You can't get to commitment without going through second base. So yep. you won't have commitment without trust and you won't get the second base trust without going through first base respect. And so there'll be no trust without respect. And, um, and the way to run those bases is to get up to bat and just keep batting singles and just keep and, and, and doing things together is what is running those bases. Doing things together. So me and you doing this together yep. builds that relationship and builds a little bit more of that respect and that trust. And so for me, it's pretty easy to get to third base and, and home plate with people. It just is. Yep. Um, and, and, but like anyone, right? what is it, 70% of the time you strike out or you don't get on base when you're up to bat, right? And so I'm going to destroy that baseball diamond. At some point, I'm going to make a mistake. Mm. And and I'm going to destroy that relationship. And now we got to start over. But this time, it's eight times harder. 
Yeah. Now it's going to be eight times more difficult to get to first base, eight times more difficult to get to second base, eight times more difficult to get to third base, eight my eight times more difficult to get to home plate. So that, but I'll do it, and we'll get there again, and then it's going to happen again. Yeah. And this time it's eight times eight, and then the next time it's eight times eight times eight, <laughs> and pretty soon you're just like, you know what? I don't want to play ball anymore. Yeah. And so from from a leadership standpoint, um, doing things together running those bases, providing the feedback to each other on how how was that experience? Was it good? Was it bad? Where could we have done better? Where did we mess up? Those are all important things on on running those bases. Um and that's part of part of what has um helped me, I think, is I keep the baseball diamond in mind and since the formation of Arden Mills, I I, I I've memorized that trust equation. I I talk about it a lot. I I think it's very, very effective from a leadership standpoint. I like and it. And we on way too long, but I, no, I do think there are some opportunities the IOM has to yeah. to provide some leadership training to people. I think, and, and you just, you know, I just, just listened to your talk. Well, I have two ideas. First of all, I know what you do when you finally retire. You can be a consultant. But um, the other, <laughs> the, the leadership, <laughs> of course, not in technical milling, but the other um, idea was to, um, you know, maybe I should have a podcast with somebody that um, does some good leadership training and, and talk a little bit about what the values of ah, leadership that's a good are. idea. Yeah, I know. And you that's just got good. me that idea. So thank you. <laughs> and um, I might talk to you after the podcast and see if you have some suggestions, <laughs> but, um, but no, this, this was great, Randy. Thanks a lot. And well, it's um, been fun. Um, you know, I talked too much. No, no, absolutely not. You're totally within the time range, you know, it's, and I like talking. That's, that's, that's a podcast. That's what a podcast is all about. People don't like to listen to me much. They would like to listen to the guests, and you know, half the time they have a hard time understanding my accent, anyways. But, <laughs> but um, so the more talking you do, the better the podcast is. Yeah, well, those who know me well will not be surprised that I talk <laughs> so much. <laughs> yeah. All right, Randy. Well, thanks, thanks a lot. Thanks, It was fun. And um, I hope to talk to you soon. Yeah.